As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. Repentance, a talk by Father Rob Galea at the Immaculata Mission School 2019. Thank you. It's such a, a, such a blessing to be here. Um, I, I feel very nervous. It's my first talk for the year. <laughs> I, that's not a joke. No, I mean, I haven't um, spoken in public for like two weeks and I'm not used to that. And, um, ex- except mass, of course. But um, it's, uh, it is such a blessing it's, uh, to be here. I do get nervous when I stand in front of people, no matter how often I do this. And the reason why I say this, because some of you would have heard me say, and why does he always say that he's nervous? Because the thing is, I am nervous, and when I acknowledge that I'm nervous, I somehow calm down, okay? So I'm doing this, I acknowledge here and now that I'm terrified, my heart is beating so fast, and I'm, I, but it's okay. It's okay, because um, I live my life in the deep end. I want to continue to live my life in the deep end. And I don't ever, ever want to be comfortable. Okay, this is one of the biggest problems I think that we have as Catholics, is that we tend to want to get comfortable. I don't know if any of you go to parishes and you find people sit on the same pews week after week. (laughs) Uh, We're we're expert at that. We had a a lady in in my parish, in my previous parish, her name was Mrs. Nappa, and she loved to sit in the same place all the time. And she'd sit on the same pew, it was the third row on my right, on the left if you're walking into the church. She'd sit there, like not at the edge of the the pew, but at the other end. So you had to cross the whole pew to get into there. Now, Mrs. Napa started to get older and older. She was in her 90s and she'd walk in, she'd hobble in, sometimes even during my homily. And she'd walk in, and I'd know Mrs. Napa arrived because you'd hear a scream. Ah, someone, she'd sit on someone who's sitting on her place. (laughs) She was a person of habit who loved to be comfortable. And we as human beings, as Catholics, love to be comfortable. But this is the one prayer that I always pray. God, please, please make me uncomfortable. Make me uncomfortable, because the minute we're comfortable, the minute we have our lives sorted, the minute we know where we're going, the minute we feel holy, we've lost the plot. We've become, we've, we've become complacent. You see, I, I did anyone here feel holy? Okay, because if you do feel holy, I'm gonna shake you, I'm gonna shake you, just because just I said I would. And so there you go, okay. So the, the, the thing is, we cannot, we, the minute we start to feel that we, we've made it, then, then something is wrong. And this is the prayer that you can pray, God, please make me uncomfortable. Because even we need to be an uncomfortable church. The church has been comfortable for too long. And all the disaster, all the mess, all the abuse, all the things that have happened within the church was because the church had become comfortable. And this is one of the things we need to do. Saints were constantly uncomfortable. They were the people who felt that they were the biggest sinners. They were the people who always had to pursue God. And you'd look at them and you'd think, oh my goodness, uh, you're so holy. But yet they felt, my fault, Lord, I'm so unworthy. And this is how we should be. Not that we suffer from Catholic guilt. Not that we feel guilty and that we don't feel we deserve God's love. Because here's the news for everyone. We, We don't deserve God's love and we never will deserve God's love. 
But the thing is, one of the biggest sins, one of the biggest things that stop us from, from receiving the amazing love of God is us feeling that we don't deserve it. The reality is we don't, but we receive it anyway. That's grace. That's grace. I don't deserve God's love. I mess up. Anyone here mess up? We mess up like a lot. We mess up a lot. And, and the thing is, we need to know, we need to recognize that we mess up, that we, that we, we don't have it all together. And, and this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk a little bit about repentance, about metanoia. Have you ever heard the word metanoia? Metanoia means you're walking in one direction, not the band, and you stop and you turn around and you walk in the exact opposite direction. It's repentance. It's coming back to God. And the thing is, you think you do that once. I had a conversion when I was 16. I was addicted and I was in a mess and I was depressed and I was suicidal and I was just in such a dark place where I used to self-harm and I wanted to die. But I experienced God's love. I had an encounter of God's love. And this is what happened to me. I was walking away. All of a sudden, I hear God's call. And I experience God's love. And I turn around. And I've spent the rest of my journey walking towards God. But you think that's the only metanoia I will ever need. Don't be kind. No. This is my whole life. It's turning around towards God and then... Oh, a fly. And then we'll turn around this way. Oh, look at that. And I'm, this is my whole life, just walking towards God and getting distracted. And so repentance is a constant thing. It's a constant turning around towards God. And the thing is, we cannot feel guilty about it. But the thing is, we cannot get comfortable in our sin. We have to spend our whole life and we say, God, how many times am I going to run away from you? How many times am I going to fall into the same sin, confess the same sin, do the same stupid thing, and yet uh, I still, I get tired and I think, no, that's it. I'm just going to, you see, we, we, we think that once we enter into a relationship with God, then that's it. We're going to be saints. But that's so far from the truth. And how many of you know that that is far from the truth? You see, first of all, sanctity is not about how good we are. But it's about how, you, how generous you learn to be with God. But also with yourself. Generous with God in the way you turn around. You constantly turn around and turn towards God. But it's also understanding that you're capable of messing up. You know, I go and anoint people, and I, I, especially this happens, I don't know, with the Maltese and the Italian mostly. When I go and anoint them and I say, God, forgive their sins. And once I was praying for someone and a part of the anointing prayers, we asked that God forgive their sins. And she, there was this pretty, like she was a holy woman, but she wasn't a saint, but she was a holy woman. At least the kids thought she was a holy woman. And so I said, God, forgive her sins. And then the, woman, the daughter pulled me aside and said, why did you say forgive her sins? My mom never had any sin. My mom didn't sin. She wasn't a sinner. What are you talking about? She went to Mass every Sunday. She did her, her duty. She prayed five rosaries a day. What are you talking about? Forgive her sins. But the reality is, even if we are in relationship with God, we're still capable of sinning. 
and we're in a place like this where we feel good, where we feel like we're running up a mountain towards God, and then sometimes we forget, we forget our humanity, we forget our mess, and we forget that we're capable of falling into sin. And so the thing is, as we're crying, crawling up this mountain, as we're running towards God, if you really want to endure this race, you need to know and recognize that you're human, that you mess up. And we see, I don't know if you were like me, like when you were young, and used to, I used to think, oh, Adam and Eve, they ruined everything. <laughs> anyone ever thought that? Yeah, we think that. Well, and the more, the closer I get to Jesus, you see, they were in perfect relationship with God. Not relationship with God. They were in perfect relationship with God. And so they walk with God, and I think Adam and Eve took this apple. You know, if it were me, I wouldn't have just taken one apple. I'd have taken many apples, one, some for, for later, to make some apple strudel, and to make some apple pie for later, and then leave the rest so I can juice them later. You see, I wouldn't have just taken one. And it's easy for me to look at Adam and Eve and blame them and say they ruin everything. But I need to take responsibility for my mess also for my sin, for, for my mess, the, the things that I do to walk away from God. And one of the biggest sins that we have is that we get comfortable. And this is one of the things that I just pray. I just pray that you will be able to pray this. God, do whatever it takes to make me uncomfortable. I want to live my whole life in discomfort. <laughs> I want to live my whole life just not knowing where I'm going. God, where do you want me to go? Please show me what, I'm, what you want with my life. And God says, no, just walk the next step and I'll show you. And the thing is, you walk the next step, but you turn around and walk away from God. And then you do it again and again and you have to turn back and it's tiring. But the thing is, this, this is a life of repentance. And what I want to talk to you about is not about repentance. And this is not a, a sort of a pitch to try and get you to go to confession later. Okay, even though I certainly encourage this. But I just want you to understand, first of all, to understand that you're messed up. But the great amazing thing is that you're still loved. You're still loved in your mess. That God still calls you. In, 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 your, in your death, in your, in, in your messiness. He still loves you and he still wants this relationship with you. I just went a few days ago, actually on Boxing Day, I went to one of my best friend's houses. He, he, he had a baby, actually his wife had a baby. He helped and he, I'm sort of, and so this baby was like four, four, four days old and I go there and it's so cute and I'm holding this baby and this baby's just, I look at the baby and, and the baby's so perfect, like little fingers, and like the, the, the size of my fingernail, and, and, and toes. It's like, what, what? Those are not toes. They're like little balls. And, and then her face and her features, and everything's so perfect and so beautiful. And I'm looking at this baby and I'm thinking, this is perfect so perfect and I hold the baby and I'm holding the baby joy to, to my heart and she just rests there and she's so beautiful everything's really perfect but I didn't just spend five ten minutes there I spent an hour two three four hours and as time passed by I start to realize that this thing is not so perfect after all <laughs> you know 
and it starts crying. It just ate and like 20 minutes later needs to eat again. And I'm thinking, what the heck? You're so greedy. Just check, relax a bit, you know? And, and then all of a sudden after it eats, it starts to burp and not only burp, things come out of its mouth. And, and I'm just like, I'm thinking, thank God I held the baby earlier. I'm not gonna hold the baby now. And then all of a sudden it smells. And I'm starting to think, oh my goodness, this is, perfection is the last thing I'm thinking right now when I look at this baby. But you know what? Even through its burps and smells and cries, mom and dad didn't love it any less. Didn't love her any less. They held her and they just held, squashed it with the smell and said, oh, I think she needs a nappy change. And I'm thinking, I think so too. <laughs> And, and she's holding this baby and she's loving this baby and there's nothing she can do, nothing the baby can do that can stop mama and dad from just staring at her. Even as she's changing the nappy, she's staring and admiring the baby and I'm thinking, I'll wait in the other room. And you know, as you see, because there's this love, this unconditional love. And I think if these parents who are human can love a baby so much, that their hearts are melted, that their life, everything that they do and they say is surrounded and is focused on this love. Can you imagine God's love for us? When, even when we mess up and when we, we do things and, and, and we do things that are wrong and we do things that, that we, we promised we wouldn't do again, but 10 minutes later, New Year's resolutions, <laughs> let's start there. How many of you, I go to a gym and I tell you what, next week it's going to be hard to find the machine to work out on. Just give it another four weeks and there'll be double the amount of the machines because half the people stay at home. And then three weeks later, we're back to normal again. You know, gyms make more money out of memberships from people who don't go to the gym than actually go to the gym. Did you know that? Yes, yeah, so if everybody who made a New Year's resolution went to the gym, then there'd be no space in the gyms. Now this is the same with us. You know, I go to confession and I say, God, I'm not going to sin again, you know? I'm not going to do this again, but just give me 10 minutes and I'm back at, maybe not 10 minutes, but you know, I'm back at it again. And so I need, I need that discomfort in me that doesn't let me resign to the sin and say it's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with this sin. But the comfort, uh, the discomfort enough to continue on this journey to walk towards a God who loves us unconditionally. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? Because you see, and it is one of the things that you need to know, that there's nothing you can say, nothing you can do that can stop, stop God from loving you. But you know what the biggest trouble is? The biggest problem occurs when we start to think that we don't need God's mercy. We start to think, no. Look, I don't need, I, we get comfortable slowly. We start to get comfortable in our sin. And some of us here have this sin that we've been in for a long time and our hearts, at first we start to feel a bit guilty and, and then we start to feel that this is wrong, but eventually our hearts give in. You see, I can still praise God. I can still go to Mass. I can still pretend to be holy. I can still pretend to be all good and, put, and, and yet inside I'm dying. 
because I'm addicted and I'm stuck in my sin. Now, I'll just say a quick word about addiction, you see, because addiction is more common than you know. And addiction starts slowly, where you have control. And you think, well, I, I can deal with this, I can handle this. And sin is fun. Some, some sin is fun. Okay, and it gives you, your heart, your heart starts beating fast and your palms start sweating and, and, and you, you start to think, I can get away with this. And slowly you do these things, but eventually there comes a point when you look back and you think, oh my goodness, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And I don't know, and I'm embarrassed, and I don't know how to get out of this thing. And, I'm, and these could, could be things, for addictive things, from pornography to, to oh, a spider. That's not an addiction. <laughs> you know, it could, it could be anything, but it could be, it could be stealing, it could be lying, it could be gossip, it could be so many things. But the thing is, these things take away our freedom. There's a verse in the Bible, have you heard of the Bible? Okay, in the Bible there's a verse that says this, and I don't know which verse, if you know it you can tell me. It says, it is Christ has come so that you may have freedom. Did you, did you ever hear that? And it is for freedom that Christ has come. Now, when I started to think about this, what does it mean to have freedom? See, one of the biggest things you know you're addicted to something is when you're, not, when you're compelled to do something. When you start to feel, I need my next hit, I need my next fix. And this is where it becomes dangerous. You see, this is where our freedom is taken away. Where we, when we, we don't have the freedom to say no. We don't have the freedom to stay away from these things. And the thing is, you can get away from these things. You have the power to overcome. Maybe not by yourself, maybe you'll need professional help, maybe you'll need the help of a community. This is just a small word for, for those who are addicted, and I know not everyone here is. But those, some of you do need to hear this. Because God doesn't want you to be addicted to anything. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free to say no. That it's okay to be tempted, but to feel that you need to give in to that temptation. That you have no choice but to give in to that temptation. That's where all your freedom is gone. And God doesn't want that of us. He wants us to be absolutely free. But don't look at your addiction with fear. Look at it with God's love. Because you see, when you are weak, that's where God's strength steps in. Where sin abounds, how the verse goes, where, where, sin, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Romans 5.20 Where sin abounds, Grace abounds even more. One of the things I like to say is that God takes our mess and he turns it into a message. You see, this is what God does. This is what he did in my life. My whole life was spent, and my teenage life, spent in, in addiction and loss and violence. You know, I used to go up to people and just punch them in the face for no reason. There, uh, we used to, I've sent, I don't know how many people to, to, with a, a group of my friends, we just used to start fights and le left, I, I can think of a half a dozen people we left half dead on the floor. I was in a violent group and the thing is, I, it, was only, it wasn't only that, it was drugs, it, it was a whole lot of other things. 
But the thing is, you see, I'm not afraid of my addiction anymore. I know, and I'm going to be honest with you, and maybe I never said this in a talk, but I just, you see, I, I, I want to, to, to say this to you. Just because you, you were addicted to something and you're free from something doesn't mean you're going to remain free. I, I, I have an addictive personality, and I know that. And it's not a bad thing. You see, I, that's why I need to, people criticize me. They say, Father, why do you go to the gym so much? You see, because if I don't replace my bad habits with good habits, I'm scared of where I could end up. You see, why do you meditate so much? Because if I don't replace my bad habits with my good habits, then I'm going to be in a mess. So there are things that we can do to fight our addictions, to bring them back to God. And there are things, good things that we can do that are good, that can make uh, turn our mess into a message. Today I spend my whole life working with people who, who self-harm, people who, who are lost and people who are confused and people who, who are suicidal and, and people who are, are, are in, in violence and, and I, work in a, I speak at a lot of rehab places and juvenile prisons and I work in schools and I work with people who are in, in bad relationships and the reason I do this is because I know what it's like. I know what it means to be trapped. I know what it means to, to see nothing and to have nothing but the compulsion to do the thing that you're addicted to. I know what that's like. But you know what? God met me in my addictions. He met me in my sin. And he took this, this mess, and he turned it into a beautiful message. And this is what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. But you know what? It starts with this prayer. God, please make me uncomfortable. Because addiction is comfortable. It's the easiest thing to turn to. Sin is the easiest thing to turn to. But you have to have the courage to get up and turn away. And sometimes you need the help of others. Sometimes you need the help of those, uh, uh, we cannot do it alone. And sometimes confession is a place where we start. It's a place where we can get out of the sin and we can keep going to confession. And you think, Father, I've confessed this a thousand times and welcome to a thousand and one times. That's fine. Confess it over and over again because with confession comes this grace not to sin again. It's not just about blurting things out. With there, there's a supernatural grace that comes with confessing our sins. Especially, you know, in the, uh, before, confession wasn't from the beginning like in a confessional. Do you know how confession used to happen before? Public. Public. You know, that it used to be in a church and they used to gather, I committed adultery three times. Sorry, I didn't tell you earlier. Talking to his wife. Can you imagine that? That was the only way they could confess their sins publicly. And you know what? The community together would say, I forgive you. I forgive you. But and then it started to cause a bit of havoc, you see? <laughs> and so the church in her wisdom said, ah, let's, let's, let's make this. Let's, uh, um, so the priest would be there and the priest would represent the whole community. So it's not about only reconciling with God, but it's also the priest gives you absolution to be reconciled 
with the community again. It's not only sinning against God because your sin affects the community. Um, I just want to apologize for you who are sitting at the front because I walk a lot. Okay, just, uh, just close your eyes or just look in at the spider there. I'm sorry. I usually notice I'm walking a lot when I see the camera moving, but there's no camera here, so I didn't notice I was walking so much. But you see, this, this is the thing, this is the thing, that we, there's a beautiful, absolutely beautiful grace that, that comes, comes with the sacrament of reconciliation. And so the priest does forgive us on behalf of God, yes, but also on behalf of the community. And when the priest says, I forgive you your sins through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. And then he gives you the prayer of absolution. And when he does that prayer, you're forgiven on behalf of the church. You're forgiven on behalf of the community. You're forgiven on God's behalf as well to be reconciled with God, but also with the community. I don't know if you know, um, there, there were, I, you wouldn't know because it's, it's a story. So this, there was this African community, okay, and they were, they were in this community and they had these farms, but these baboons were coming, you know what a baboon is? Okay, so these baboons were coming into the community and stealing all the food. And so they wanted to do something about these baboons. These farmers wanted to get rid of these baboons. So what they did was they put some cages out on the outskirts of the farm. And they put a lot and they just left the cages there with nothing. And so the baboons would look at the cages and they weren't stupid. They saw that there was something weird going on. So they avoided these cages. They walked around the cages and they continued to pillage the fruit of the farm. And so these farmers, but even though the, the baboons were clever, the farmers were even more clever. They had patience. And so what they did was they gathered some fruit and they put in the, the, the next week, they put the fruit into the cages. But the baboons still weren't that stupid, you know? They could see that they're not gonna, this is a trap. So they wouldn't go in, but they'd just stare at the fruit. Now, tell me if you think this is like sin, okay? So they just stare at it, and they think, I'll never fall into that. And they'd look at it, and then they'd walk away. And then, but they thought that they'd walk around these, and they'd go again for the fruit in the farm. But the farmers continued to put fresh fruit into the cage. And eventually one of the baboons decided, hey, I'm going to go in. And so what does he do? He goes in and he grabs some fruit and he runs back out and he goes to the others. Hey guys, look, you see, nothing happened. And so he starts to eat this fruit and everyone's drooling and thinking, whoa, I want to do that. And some of them start to think, well, well nothing has happened to him, so I'm going to do it as well. And so they go and they grab some fruit and they go and they eat it outside of the cage. And that's fine. But eventually more baboons start to do this week after week after week. And they go and they grab the fruit and then they just peel the fruit and eat it outside of the cage. But eventually they start to get more comfortable with the cages. And one of them decides to sit in the cage. Why not? You see? And they sit in the cage and they start to eat the fruit. And nothing has happened. Nothing happens. And the other community of the baboon, the baboons see that nothing happened. And so they start to go into these little cages. And they start to eat. And for months, nothing happens. Nothing happens. 
And then eventually more of the community gathers and they start to leave the fruit of the fields alone because they get free food here. And so they go and they sit in the cages and all of a sudden they start to make their community and their home and they would shelter in the rain in, in, this, in this cage and they'd sit down and be comfortable. And then one day out of nowhere, as they're feasting and eating, boom, the cages fall down and they're all trapped. And what do the farmers do? They waited months. They grab these cages and they take them and they kill the baboons one by one, destroying almost an entire community. And they're there, they're lost. You see, this is the nature of sin, that we taste a little bit and we think, oh, I can get away with it, nothing really happened. And then just a little bit more, and we eat it outside of the cage, nothing. And I go to confession, then nothing happens, you see? And then eventually I go a little bit more, and then I see other people settling in the place of sin, and I start to settle there, even though I was in perfect relationship with God. And I go back into this cage, and I settle, and I eat, and I feast, and it becomes my place of refuge rather than God. And all of a sudden, I'm trapped. And the, what happens? Sin destroys. Sin kills. And this is the nature of sin. Sin is not like a puppy that you can play with. Sin is like a snake. You, you can play with a snake, but eventually you'll get bit or bitten, whatever you prefer grammatically. <laughs> you see, you can't play around with sin. You have to take sin seriously. Get uncomfortable. Get out of your place of sin. Whether it's a small sin or a big sin, whether it's gossip. And don't tell me, hey, I, I don't really have addictions. I don't really have sin. Well, look at the person on my left. <laughs> you should see her. No, we all messed up. We all need God's mercy or him. We all need God's grace, no matter how holy we think we are. If you think you're holy, you're probably sitting in a cage right now. And you need to get out. You need to get out. Get uncomfortable. But you see, the thing is, our story doesn't end with a closed cage. Because you see, there's, there's a God there who died on a cross for us. And his blood paid the price to open that cage to let us go free. But it starts with you getting uncomfortable. Get out of that cage. Get out of your sin. Get out of your addiction. Do something about it. Start tonight. Start today. Start this week. Get out of that cage. Because no matter how close you feel to God, if you're still stuck in that cage, you're not going to be free. Get uncomfortable and get out. One of the first things we can do is claim the blood of Jesus and say, Jesus, I allow you to open this cage for me to set me free. And some of us, and I hope all of us, will have this opportunity to go to confession. I go to confession as often as I can. And I go because I know I need to get out of this, of this cage that I settle myself in. And the way we do this is we go to a priest and we confess our sins. The priest has no special power, but he represents God. He represents the community. 
But I'll tell you three things about reconciliation quickly and then I'll end, end here. The first thing is that you are not going to shock the priest unless it's been ordained a day, okay? <laughs> because if he's been ordained a day, maybe he'll be shocked, okay? Because he's the, I mean, the devil's not creative, okay? One of the things that the devil is not is not creative. Some people are more creative than others, but we all sin in the same way. Okay, so the, after you've been a priest for three weeks, four weeks, you've heard it all. You've heard it all. Okay, and that's the first thing. And you're not going to shock the priest, and the priest is not going to remember because they, uh, they're, they're not, you see, one of the things that a friend of mine used to say, Rob, used to say, Rob, stop worrying about what people think of you because most of the time they don't. <laughs> and it's the same in confession. You think, oh my goodness, I just told him that yesterday. I can guarantee he doesn't remember. Don't take it personally. But the priest doesn't spend the whole day and night thinking of you, okay? And your sin. Okay, so you're not gonna shock the priest. The second thing is that there's a seal of confession. He's not gonna tell anyone. He's not even gonna discuss it with his bishop or with the superiors or with other, you're not even his spiritual director. Okay, he's not going to say anything about your sin. Do you know if a priest says anything about your sin or reveals your sin, he is automatically, automatically excommunicated. Okay, so you can guarantee, so a priest would go to prison, would die before he would, he would reveal your sins. Okay, that's the second thing. And the third thing is that a priest is not there to judge we don't sit in the confessional on a throne to judge. A priest sits there to offer the mercy of God, the love of God, the thousand and one time that you've gone to confess the same thing over and over and over again. Okay, this is what God, and Pope Francis says this. He says that we don't, God doesn't get, to, we get tired of asking for forgiveness, but God never gets tired of forgiving us, never. He'll never get tired of forgiving us. So that know that the priest goes there offering love and offering mercy. Now, I was supposed to sing a song at the beginning, so I think what I'll do is I'll sing a song now, even though I don't think I have a voice left. But, but as we prepare, I just want, I'll use this song as we um, just spend some time to reflect on our own sins in our lives, okay? If you right now are thinking about someone else than yourself, you're thinking, oh, I hope this person behind me confesses that sin. It happens. It happens. You know, the woman who, um, the guy who was sitting in the, in the church or in the synagogue and he's saying, thank God I'm not like those other sinners. I will just say this to you. Get out of your cage. Look. Because if you are in that place where you are holier, then you have a bigger responsibility. You, 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 you need to understand that you need, God wants us to come back to him. And we all need his mercy. We all need to turn away from our sins. Amen. Amen. So let's just spend a moment just, just asking God, God, here's my mess. Here's my mess. Here, here, here's my cage. You know, some of you feel locked and you're shaking in the cage and you're saying, God, they're going to kill me. This addiction is going to kill me. This sin is going to kill me. Well, this is the moment where you can claim the blood of Jesus and say, Jesus, I accept your blood. I accept your mercy. I accept your forgiveness. And just come to him 
and believe, not only magical belief, but know that he has already paid the price for your sin. He's already set you free. You just need to claim it. Just claim it. And so, even as we continue this time of prayer, just think about something you'd like to bring to the Lord. Maybe your darkness, maybe your pain, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's sin, whatever it is, just bring it to Jesus. It's not about how holy you are. It's about how generous you are. How generous are you going to be to God? How uncomfortable are you going to get to pursue Him? And holiness is not a gift you give to God. Holiness is a response to God's mercy. So now as, uh, at this moment as we bring to God our, our sinfulness, we bring to God our need for Him, our desire for discomfort. Let's just get ready to receive Jesus as we welcome Jesus here in this place and through the Blessed Sacrament, but also through the gift of this, of reconciliation. Let's be generous with God. Do whatever it takes to claim the blood of Jesus, to open those cages. You don't want to be stuck. No matter how good you feel, no matter how holy you feel, get out of your cage. Get out of your comfort. And pursue God with everything you have, with all that you are. God doesn't want you just to be, just to be a Christian. He wants you to be a saint. And you're called to this. And you can do this. But get uncomfortable. That was Father Rob Galea with Repentance. This talk was recorded at the Immaculata Mission School 2019 at the Glennie School in Toowoomba, Queensland. To hear more talks from Immaculata Mission Schools from years gone by, and to hear other great Catholic talks, interviews and shows, head over to cradio.org.au.